offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done. for saying, uh, Mr. Andy, would you pray for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of this day. We thank you for mm. the love that you give us. We thank you for the right to be able to be in your house today, Lord, and praise you, Lord, and to hear your word. We ask that you give us the, the message that you want us to hear, and we ask that you help us to fully understand the message and, mm. and, and use it to be able to please you, Lord. And we ask all these things. Amen. Amen. Oh, what was it, Pastor? 2.30. Oh, two that, 2.30. All right, 2.30, everybody. Please stay standing with me. Turn your hymn books to 2.30. Grace greater than our sin. Amen, isn't it? That's just such a blessing. Amen. Grace that was greater than our sin. I'll wait for you to get back. All right. Oh, it's all right. I started talking, and then I realized I wasn't on the right number. <laughs> oh, well. Grace greater than our sin. Yes, sir. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our Points to the refuge, the mind. 
couple of announcements to go over. Uh, this coming Saturday, we'll plan on our door-to-door -door evangelism, our soul winning. Uh, so plan, if you can, on this coming Saturday to go out. We'll meet at 9 a.m. We usually leave somewhere between 9.15 and 9.30 after we fellowship for a little bit and kind of formulated some kind of a plan, had a few moments of prayer. Um, so that will be this coming Saturday. Uh, choir practice, well, we have no piano player today, so we're good at having to postpone or cancel choir practice at the last, partly because I'm not good at getting done services uh, and then getting over and eating and being done in time to actually have choir practice, so we've got to work on that, I guess. Um, ladies meeting October 10th, that'll be 6 p.m., so that's not this coming Tuesday, Tuesday, Monday, Monday. not this coming Monday, but the Monday following. Men's prayer breakfast, October 29th at 7.30. AM that is, and then uh, our missions conference with Pastor Scott Cottle, October 16th to 19th. So stay tuned, that will be here before we know it. What did I say, Scott? Wrong name, Ron, Ron Cottle, Ron Cottle. So I said it, Scott Cottle's a good guy too, but it's Ron Cottle, they're not related either, but uh, they both come to Maine fairly often. Uh, but, uh, so Pastor Ron Cottle, I saw that, didn't even catch it, but. Uh, I know I've said it, uh, Brother Cottle, Ron Cottle, that is, is uh, Pastor Wiley's father-in-law, so it is Miss Karen's dad. He's a great man, faithful prayer warrior, prays for us and our church probably more than anyone I know, or at least as much as anyone I know. He's just faithful, 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 so um, be thinking and praying for that meeting coming up, and pray also, if you think to, over the Common Ground Fair today, there's some folks going to do a acapella hymn sing. Is that right? I'm going to sing some of the old hymns. Mm -hmm. And the man who's organizing it 
heard it at the Common Ground Fair several years ago, ended up visiting a church and getting saved. So God has used it in at least one man's uh, life, and prayerfully, God will use it today in some folks' lives. And uh, we know there's a lot of folks looking for hope right now, searching for some kind of truth, some kind of answer. Prayerfully, God will use it to uh, just draw some folks, work in their hearts and in their lives. So, all right, I will have our ushers come on down. Caleb, could you pray for the offering, bud? Sure. All right. God, we just pray this morning for today, Lord. Please bless your service, Lord. Please help us to have a wonderful Sunday, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 another song. Please stand with me. Please turn your hymn books to number two, Come Thou Found. <coughs> Come Thou Found. <coughs> Hoping to hear from the Lord. I don't know what that is. That's last week. 
We're in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, Ephesians chapter number 4, and I'm going to do my best. We're only going to cover three verses, and I'm going to be honest, I got digging into this, into these verses, and this week's message may wind up just being an introductory message to these verses, and we may end up with like a... I don't know, a 10-part sermon on these three verses. We'll see, but it may not be 10 parts. But there's all these different pieces that I think each one of these seven items could get their own message, and probably more than that. There's one body, there is uh, one Lord, hang on, words are here, one body, one spirit, even as you're called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Uh, each of those things, I think, could get their own Sunday, and I may do that. I haven't decided yet, but uh, by the time I got this all th together and I thought, man, there is so much more here that I am not going to be able to get into. There's so much more here that I want to and need to study. I thought, well, maybe, we'll, maybe it'll just be a two-part service. I don't know, but uh, it's good stuff. It's really blessed my heart. Well, let's go ahead and stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. I'll read them, even though I kind of just did. And then we'll pray and be seated, and we'll get into the message. It says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the privilege that we have to assemble together, to look into your word and to study, to consider these three verses in this passage. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to see both the greater context and exactly what it is you want us to get out of these verses, out of your word this morning. I pray you'd apply it to, you, to our hearts and that you would change, challenge, and uh, accomplish your will in us today, Lord. Renew our minds transform our lives. Father, we just pray that you'll do it. We know that's your desire, that's your intention with your word. And Father, we pray that your word would not return void today, but that you would use it to accomplish what you sent it forth to do. And Lord, we just look forward to seeing what it is you're going to do today. Lord, we pray and we ask these things in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so first part of this chapter, if you remember last week, I think it was last week, yeah, it was last week. Couldn't remember if we had something in between, but our theme, what's that? It was Corinthians, so it was the week before then that we were in Ephesians. Okay, I couldn't remember for sure. I knew it was one or the other. Uh, so two weeks ago, we talked about our theme of walking worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So that's our theme this year, and it's out of verse number one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we know the, the, book of Eph, uh, the book of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus. So it's a local body of believers. It's a local church. And this letter is written to them to both help them with some things that were coming into their area, some wrong teachings that was taking place, and also to direct them and guide them into truth. And here... We're dealing with the specific of walking worthy of the vocation wherewith they are called. We've talked about that being really kind of twofold. One, 
that it deals with us walking the way God wants us to as far as our Christian life is concerned, but two, also being a part of the local body and working together, existing together, serving together in unity to accomplish all that God has intended the church, the body of Christ, to accomplish. So we have those two things kind of happening here. So the context, the greater context, I would say at least in this first part of chapter 4, is unity in the body. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that here as time goes on. And it makes sense that the body needs unity. If I was a carpenter, well, I guess I kind of do some carpentry work. As a carpenter, it helps out when I'm working on a project and I'm going to pound some nails. If this hand holds it still when I'm trying to strike the nail, and I'm, it's, they're working together, it's not this kind of a deal. I'm not going to accomplish much if I've got to fight my left hand to do what I need to do with my right hand. Uh, or if I'm trying to cut a piece of wood and, I'm, and it's moving around. No, but when the two hands are working together in unison, in tandem to accomplish the same task, a whole lot more is accomplished, isn't it? Yes, it is. So when, when the feet and the hands and the arms and the legs and all the members of the body, all the parts of the body are working together to accomplish the same thing, and they're in unity, not necessarily in the town, but it just happens to work for us, uh, in unity, in unity, that works, I guess. Uh, so if we're in unity with one another, we can accomplish a whole lot more. A lot more can be done for the cause of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 to 23, it says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So we'll reference that again here in a few moments. But Christ holds his body in a very high esteem. And we understand from Ephesians 1, the body is the church. The Bible says that he loved the church and he gave himself for it. Uh, so the fact that he would die for the church, which he calls his body, I would say that he holds it in pretty high esteem and he wants us to be, uh, he wants us to do what he died to save the body to do for him in the meantime until he returns. And then we get the privilege of ruling and reigning with him for all of eternity. That'll be a, a blessing, or at least for the millennium. All right, we'll, we'll start working through our text here. Now, I will tell you, there's going to be a lot of scripture. I will just read a number of them, because it's going to be a lot to turn to every single passage. We will be, we are, our, our potluck lunch will turn into a potluck dinner. If we read all, it might not be that much, but it will take us a while. So I'm going to read a lot of them. And prayerfully, everyone can follow along. If you need it afterwards, I can give you notes. You can take these ones, and if other folks need them, I'll make more. But uh, we'll just make the best of it. All right, verse number four. There is one body. So we've already defined what the body is, but just in case, Colossians 1.24 also says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. So, in case we didn't get it in Ephesians 1, Colossians 1 also defines the body as the church. That is Christ's body. I'm going to, uh, yeah, I already said that. So, Ephesians 2.16 says, And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So, one of the things that are being, that have been dealt with so far in the book of Ephesians is that there are two groups of people. 
There was the Jew, well, there is, and there's the Gentile. Well, there's third group of people in the New Testament. It's the church. So you've got the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. That's the three audiences in the Word of God. When we read the Bible, it's either to the Jew, to the Gentile, or to the church of God. So that's, we can always kind of come to that conclusion. So, and if it seems to be to a person, that person is either a Jew, a Gentile, or part of the church. Uh, so we've, we've got that covered. So uh, as we deal with this uh, letter to the book, uh, to the folks at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, one of the things that's been dealt with is the division between the Jew and the Gentile and how that once they're saved and they're a part of the body of Christ, they're now one, one body, the church. There's no longer Jew, Gentile. There is just the body of Christ. That's it. So uh, that's an important thing for us to understand. And then here in chapter 4, it is being clarified again. Now that you're saved, folks in Ephesus, a part of this church, a part of this local body, understand whether you're Jew or Gentile, there's one body. It doesn't matter what you were. It doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter what your genealogy declares you to be. If you're a born-again child of God and you're, you are a part of this one body, that's how it works. That's what Christ set up. That's what he's done. So we're tied together in this one body. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5, say for it. I'll let some folks turn there. You can see this one. I, I want you to turn some. I just also want you to get to eat today. Romans chapter number 12. Verses 4 and 5. I have tried to build some things in here that we will turn to, but uh, we'll turn to maybe a few others. All right, verses 4 and 5, it says this, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So that one body is made up of many members. Well, over in Corinthians, it defines them as, or gives the illustration of the eye and the hand and all those different things. So we understand these many members that make up the one body. It's pictured, it's illustrated as the physical human body and how those different members work together. And yet they are all one body, members one of another. So the Bible's made it, made it evidently clear what the body is and that every person who is a child of God is a part of that body. However, we need to be a part of a local body because uh, we're all part of the kingdom of God if we're saved. We're all part of the family of God, but we need to be a part of a local body because I can't accomplish what God has intended me to accomplish if I, am, uh, if I consider myself to be a part of uh, you know, uh, Calvary Baptist in Sanford, Maine. You know, I can't really do much with that church body. I need to be a part of a body that's close enough that I can participate and be a part of it. Plus, we need each other. We need the fellowship. We need one another for encouragement. We need one another to, to edify each other. Uh, you know, we, we help encourage each other to live the Christian life when we're not at church. And the friendships and the relationships that we have with one another, that helps us to live the life God's called us to when we're not here. Because uh, we're only here so many hours a week. Um, I remember years ago when we were at Churchill Baptist in Augusta, the pastor who started the church, uh, he used to call Wednesday night prayer meeting the midweek refueling service. Because you go out into the world after Sunday, a lot of times Sunday is a good day, we get 
spiritually filled up and then Monday go out into the world and get beat up and Tuesday go out in the world and get beat up. Wednesday are out in the world and get beat up and then Wednesday night come to church and it's just kind of like, you know, just get filled back up to make it through the rest of the week before the following Sunday. And we need that sometimes more than others, but we need that. Uh, So the end of verse three in our Ephesians four passage, I know I kind of touched on it already. I'll just read the, the verse uh, four, chapter, th- uh, chapter four, verse three. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we see that unity uh, without, well, we just, did I read Colossians? No, I'll, I'll read Colossians three fourteen and 15. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. So we see between Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4, verse 3, there's some parallels here. One, we've got that word bond taking place. We've also got peace. Over in, in Ephesians chapter number 3, it says, in the bond of peace. Over in Colossians chapter 3, it says, the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your heart. So if we put these two things together and we kind of use Scripture to understand Scripture, charity is the bond of perfectness, and that unity that comes when we have charity with one another brings peace. We can have peace and we can accomplish what we need to for God. And charity is that perfect love that believers have for one another, should have for one another. Uh, Anyways, we better move on. It's about time for lunch. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. All right, so so before we move on, real quick, when that charity comes into play, it causes us to have an unwavering, unfailing love for our Savior. And we have, when we have an unwavering, unfailing love for our Savior, we're going to have that same love for his body. And we're going to want to be with one another and help one another and encourage one another. So one body. Secondly, one spirit. It says, there is one body and one spirit. Notice, if you didn't, there's a capital S on the front of spirit. So we know it's talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, part of the Godhead. And interestingly, we'll see all three parts of the Godhead in this passage. It's kind of neat, but I'm jumping the gun. All right, so I think most of us know we're dealing with the Holy Spirit here. If you didn't, well, I just told you how we know. In Ephesians chapter 2, let's turn back here because we're already, already in Ephesians. Verse 18, you may or may not have to turn the page in your Bible. But Ephesians 2, verse 18, down through verse 22, it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all are the building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit, capital S. So we are to be a building. So the church is compared to a body. It's also compared to a building. And we are connected together. We are unified together. We are built up together through the Spirit. Uh, and the Spirit is to dwell both within us and within the body. Uh, he brings about a unity. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit, sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
Are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have made all uh, and have been all made to drink into one spirit? So the spirit brings that unity. Uh, what's the Bible say? To try the spirits. Now that's a little less, but uh, so forgive me. I could jump the gun on that. Uh, so I believe this baptism of the Spirit, that takes place the moment we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God, which is uh, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're not a child of God, according to 1 John. That is an evidence of the fact that we've been saved, that we're part of the kingdom of God. Um, so we're all part of the one body, the result of the indwelling of the one Spirit, which takes place the moment we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Um, so, all right, we'll keep moving here. Well, let me, I might, reference, I might reference what I was thinking later, but we won't for right now. Letter C, well, not for you, letter C for me. We are called in one hope of your calling. <laughs> Sorry, I told you there's a lot here. My brain is going a million miles an hour in a million different directions. But, so there's one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. So we understand uh, well, let's identify some of these words or define some of these words. 1 Timothy 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. So for you and I as Christians, our hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, he is the source of our hope. Better yet, he is our hope. Because of him, we have hope. Don't lose your place in Ephesians 4, but turn over to the book of Titus. We're going to look at a couple different passages here, so we'll turn over here. Titus 1. We'll make it easy. I'm going to grab my water here. Titus chapter number 1, verse number 2. It's right after 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Here's another reference to this hope. It says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So, the word hope, we often liken it to, uh, it's, a, it's a confident expectation of something that we know is going to come to fruition. Well, Jesus Christ is our hope. Any any expectation that we have of eternal life is because of Jesus Christ. Apart from him, we have no hope. And uh, if you remember last year at our tent meeting with the friends, that was our theme, hope. And why was it our theme? Well, because with everything that had been taking place for the previous year, year and a half, whatever it was, there were a lot of people in search of hope. They were just looking for some kind of hope. Well, Jesus Christ is our hope. And because of him, we know we have eternal life. God cannot lie, promise before the world began. In chapter 2, verse number 13, still in Titus, it says, looking for that blessed hope. Well, who is that? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There we go. He is our hope, and He is coming back. Uh, could be today, could be tomorrow. Could be next year, could be in a hundred years from now. I don't know when it's going to be. Could be a thousand years. We keep going, but I won't. 
Uh, it's it's going to happen at some point. We know it's going to happen. Well, why hasn't it happened yet? You know, the Bible says in the end, perilous times will come. We know that the days are getting closer to his return. I honestly believe it's soon. How soon? I don't know. Sooner than it was 2,000 years ago. I know that much. Uh, but I don't know exactly when. I can't know exactly when. Uh, but what I do know is it's getting closer. And the reason that Christ hasn't come back yet is not because... He's not going to fulfill his promise, but according to 2 Peter, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Because he wants all to be saved. That's why. And I, I couldn't help but think of that when Jesse, we've got a visitor, he's working at the Common Ground Fair today, but uh, he said he'd be back next week if he couldn't make it today. He, he said that he should be dead right now. But three, I think it was three times so far in the last year and a half or two years, he has surpassed the doctor's expectations. The deadline, they told him, he had to live. First, it was, I think, a week. It may even be more than that. And then it was a month. And then it was a year. Well, he's passed all of those so far. So he told me the other day, he's not a Christian, that I, unless he's trusted Christ since you went and saw him on Wednesday. But as of last week, he was not saved. He had not trusted Christ as his personal Savior, but he said, I don't believe the doctors anymore. He said, I know that they don't have all the answers. He said, but I do, he said, I know that there's a God and that he has a reason for me still being here. And he said, I believe this is it, him coming to church and hearing what he's been hearing the last couple weeks. And I said, you're right, Jesse. I said, God is long-suffering. And he's kept you here because he wants you to get saved. He, he's allowed you, and he knows it. He's admitted it. So prayerfully, the day of him trusting Christ as a Savior is soon approaching, I pray. All right. So Christ appearing, according to Titus chapter 2, will bring our hope to fruition. Uh, so there's going to be a day when our faith will become sight. And when that day comes, our hope will come to fruition. All right, verse number 5 says this. One Lord, so we've got one body, one spirit, even as you're called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, who is the, who is the one Lord? Well, we've already seen it once this morning, but Acts chapter 10, verse 36 says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So he's our hope. He is also our Lord. He is the Lord. Um, it's a pretty good place to start. Romans 14, 8 and 9 says, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Again, Christ is Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 2 says, Jesus Christ, Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we could go on. There are countless verses that refer to him. I suppose they could be counted. But there are many verses that refer to Christ as Lord. He is Lord. So when it says there is one Lord, we understand that Jesus Christ is the one Lord. We understand from uh, was it 1 Timothy that Jesus Christ is our hope. So we have one body the body of Christ. We have one spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. We have uh, the hope of our calling. Jesus Christ is the hope of our calling. 
uh, we have one Lord. We also have one faith. What is this speaking of? Well, first we need to define faith. Brother Elliot dealt with that a little bit in Sunday school. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 with me, if you would. Hebrews chapter number 11. So what are we doing? Why are we considering so many different scripture verses? We're trying to use the Bible to tell us what the Bible is saying. So when we read something and we question, well, what does this word mean? Well, what is this speaking about? Really, the best way to define it and to determine what it means is to go to other passages that speak about the same thing. But that can lead us to a lot of different places. It can also lead us to a lot of different rabbit trails. And uh, we can end up in this never-ending circle of doing what Brother Elliot taught in Sunday school this morning, learning. <laughs> so we can end up learning a whole lot, but then to try to condense it all into a Sunday morning message, well, that's why I don't have you turning to all the different scriptures and we're not addressing all the different things we could be addressing in these different passages. We're trying to stay on track of covering these three verses here in Ephesians 4. But All right, so faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the word substance, Job 1.3 says, His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses in a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. So the substance is it's a possession. It's the tangible possession. Well, faith isn't something tangible, not with your hands, but spiritually speaking, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, it is that solid, that, uh, that tangible, that substance of the fact that we have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Our faith is what we can, our faith in Christ is what we can stand or rest in. The fact we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, I'll tell you, our faith is wavering. That's why it says we are kept by his faith, uh, by the faith of the one who saved me. Uh, we get saved through faith, us placing our faith in him, but we're kept by the faith of the one because our faith does waver. So it's the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. It is what proves the very fact that the things that aren't seen are true. And here's, here's some further illustration. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Well, those who had believed God in the past, they received a good report of God, from God, because of their faith. We know it was by faith that Abraham uh, was, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. What? Because of his faith. Verse 3, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. We understand the creation account. We believe the creation account. We know what the Bible says or how everything came into existence through faith. Not because we can see it, but because we have believed it through faith. Verse 4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. His, his sacrifice was in faith was by faith or through faith, therefore God was pleased, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. I guess it's, some would say that's the closest thing we have to understand what the rapture might be like. 
and was not found because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. And verse number 6, the last verse we'll read, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith. You know, living the faith life is tough sometimes. Living a life of faith. Because it's trusting in things we can't see. Uh, you know, our, our side business, if you will, we raise dogs. And we've got a litter of dogs right now. We've got two spoken for and six not spoken for. And we're halfway to the, their homegoing uh, day. And usually it's a homegoing celebration because our house gets quieter and less smelly and all those things. Uh, but <laughs> we might not have as big of a celebration, but at least two of them are going home right now. Uh, but as I was, actually it was while Brother, Brother Elliot was teaching Sunday school and just what I've been reading and studying in my Bible, this morning it just kind of dawned on me that whether or not the puppies sell, as far as financially speaking, God's going to take care of us and provide for us. He always does. He always has. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't be so focused and concerned with whether or not we sell the puppies by eight weeks or not. I should just trust Lord that he'll sell them when he wants to sell them and he'll provide for us what he wants to provide for us when he wants to provide it for us and not stress and worry about it. So Sunday school helped me, Brother Elliot. Uh, it was a blessing and uh, I needed to remember that I need to just trust God and not worry about uh, and it was funny, yesterday we had one person contact us about a puppy, and then I woke up at five-something this morning and just had this thought, I should check and see if anyone else has reached out about puppies. So I checked my email, and there was another person who had reached out. We haven't heard anything in three or four weeks, and all of a sudden, one night, we get two people contacting us. It's just a reminder. All right, so one faith. The Bible defines the word faith for us, but it also tells us where our faith should lie. And without taking the time, I don't think we need to probably go to a lot of different references. We know our faith needs to be in Jesus Christ and in His Word. Uh, everything we know about Him is found where? In the more sure word of prophecy, right here in His Word. Everything we know about, well, that's where faith comes in. Everything we know about what we believe, the source of that information can be found right in the Word of God. All right. One baptism. One baptism. One, there is a physical baptism. It is what identifies one outwardly and publicly as a Christian. So when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, baptism is something that we practice. Why? Well, because Christ was baptized as an example, but also the Bible tells us that we ought to be. So it's by water. And the water baptism prefaces, is that how you would say that? I don't know why I always want to say prefaces, but I know that's not right. It prefaces uh, membership into a local body of believers. So before someone can become a, a member of a local New Testament church, they have to be first saved, dwelt by the Holy Ghost, and secondly, baptized by water. Um, I remember years ago when Fred, I know I talked about Fred who got saved. He, it was in Sunday school one day, somehow church membership came, oh no, it wasn't, it was, was baptism or church membership, I don't remember which one. I think he said baptism and he goes, 
we talked about that for a little bit, and he goes, Pastor, I heard someone talk about membership. He goes, could I be a member of this church? And I said, yeah, you can be a member of the church. And he said, what do I got to do? And I said, well, you got to be saved. We can check that box. You've already told us, and we know you're saved. And I said, you got to be baptized. And you just told us this morning you want to be baptized. And I said, and then you got to express your desire to be a member of the church. And he goes, oh, I want to be a member of the church. And I said, well, let's get you baptized. I said, the same day we'll have you join the church. And he said, okay. And I remember before the baptism, we did it in the afternoon service. I stand up to start leading singing, and there sits Fred in his t-shirt and his shorts. The baptistry was over here, filled up with water with a tarp under it to try to keep the carpet somewhat dry. And he's sitting over there with a box of tissues, just sobbing. And I look down, and I'm like, what is going on? So I go over, and I said, are you okay, Fred? And he said, Pastor, I never thought that someone like me could ever have a relationship with God or be forgiven by him and could be a member of a, of a church with people who love me and care about me. He said, I never thought I could have a family like this. And I just, <laughs> so then I'm thinking, now i got to get up and try to lead the congregation in a song, and here he's got me crying. Not that it takes a lot, but just that tenderness and that sweet spirit and just the joy that, man, we overflowed the baptistry that day because Fred was overflowing with joy. I mean, he just was so full of joy. And, uh, yeah, right. You know, I think it was just a few weeks later I got a phone call that he had passed away. He had had a heart attack, and I went down and spent a little time with his family. But that was heart-wrenching because he was just a light uh, even to people who were saved, he had so much joy. He just, just spilled over, and it reminded us, it re renewed us, and refreshed us, that joy that we need to have as Christians. Uh, it was just such a blessing. But now it's still, every time I think about him, it refreshes me and reminds me of that joy. All right, we better move on. So there's one baptism. We haven't even read any verses yet. Acts chapter 8. Turn over to Acts chapter 8 with me. We're getting close to being done. Another half hour, 45 minutes. I'm just kidding. Let me see. I think so. No promises. I think I'm kidding, but no promises. All right, Acts chapter number 8. We are going to read a handful of verses here. Beginning in verse number 26. Oh, I can just find it here. I'm on the right page. Here we go. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. When the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Esaias, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before the, his shearer, 
so opened he not his mouth. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. That's Isaiah here is what it's referencing. And he's reading about Jesus Christ. But the Ethiopian eunuch didn't understand what he was reading. He didn't know that that was about Christ. Verse 33, in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, Here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. What do we got to do before we get baptized? We got to get saved. What's he have to believe in? Well, look what it says. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He believed. He placed his faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for his salvation. In verse 38, And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. He didn't get a bottle or a cup of water. They went into the water. It was bapt he was baptized by immersion. Well, why is that important? Well, don't turn there, but Romans 6, verse 3 and 4 says, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When we get saved, this picture that takes place, we die as Christ did, we're buried in the water, and then we rise again to newness of life. It's a picture of what has happened inside of us when we got saved. We died, buried, and were resurrected to newness of life. It's a picture of what Christ did. It's a picture of what Christ has done in us when we get saved. We have a new life. All right, verse 6. Hey, we're almost done. This one is shorter, I promise. Shouldn't promise, but I do. It says, one God and Father of all. The final person of the Godhead mentioned here. So we had the, we had the Spirit. We had the Lord, which we defined was Jesus Christ. And now we have God, the Father of all. All three persons of the Trinity, which, for clarity's sake, make up one God. 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That verse is cut out of a lot of Bibles, but it does, in fact, belong there. So God is the creator of everything, and everything is his. Malachi 2.10 says, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? We have one Father. We have one God who created us. We understand that. Malachi says that, one of the Old Testament prophets. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So we know the Father, God the Father, uh, Psalm 86.10, last verse, For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. So we know that God the Father is God the Creator. And I understand Jesus Christ is the Creator of everything, according to John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, among other passages. But God the Father played a part in creation too. And He owns everything. He is above all. 
Ephesians 1, verses 20 to 23. We're already in Ephesians. Turn back a few pages, I suspect, in your Bibles. Ephesians 1. I turn back too many pages. Verses 20 to 23. Oh, I'm in here. It says, which he wrought, who's the he? God the Father, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. How would God the Father be able to exalt Christ to sit on his right hand, to be able to place him far above principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not in this world only, but in the one that's to come in, the, in eternity, and put all things under his feet. How would he have the ability to do that? Well, because he owns everything, past, present, and future. He has power and authority over all of it. So because of that, he is able to do just that. He is through all, Romans 11, 33 to 36. Actually, no, turn over to this one, Jeremiah 23. We'll look at this one verse for this one, and we'll do maybe one verse for the next one, and we'll be done. How's that? I'll get you out of here pretty soon. Jeremiah 23. Verses 23 and 24. It says, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. He is in everything. So I've heard it said, so what you're saying then is God is in the trees. Yes, but the trees are not God. <laughs> he is everywhere. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. Is that hard for us to comprehend? Yeah, it sure is. It's difficult for us to understand and comprehend because we are not omnipresent. Uh, sometimes we can be in a place and still not be present up here. <laughs> so, so it's hard for us to understand we can be somewhere and not be present, that God can be present everywhere all the time. But that's part of what makes him God. He is able to do just that. All right, and then in you all, let's look at, let's go to 1 John. I've got two references here and we'll be done. They're both in 1 John, so we won't run all over the place. First John chapter 3, there's one verse here. It says, in he that, verse 24, I should have told you that too, I don't know that I did. It says, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit, capital S, which he hath given us. Remember the one spirit? 
God indwells us. He is in you. He's in us by the Spirit that He's given us. And then same book, chapter 4, 12 to 15, says, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that, uh, hereby know we, that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Uh, last verse. Where whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Uh, so when we trust Christ as our Savior, he dwells in us. God dwells in us. Uh, all right. So do we understand what's the point of this whole passage? Well, interestingly, there are seven different things listed here. We have first, well, help if I go back to Ephesians, wouldn't it? Ephesians 4. First, we have one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. There are seven different ones listed there. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Seven ones. It almost shouldn't work out that way, but it does. And the number seven in the Word of God pictures completeness. Over in 2 Peter 1, when it says add to your faith, there are seven different items there that we're to add to our faith, which are areas we're to grow into spiritual maturity. Well, here there are seven different items listed here that deal with unity in the body of Christ. So if we have these seven things in our congregation, then we can have a unified body of Christ. Some of them happen at salvation. Some of them are things that we have to actually live out our life. And this is where I may expound on these more in weeks to come because, for instance, the one spirit. The spirit plays a lot of roles in producing a godly life, one, through us bearing the fruit of the Spirit, of us walking in the Spirit. Uh, if we don't do those things, that one Spirit can't accomplish what He wants to and needs to accomplish for us to have unity. If we're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit or we're not walking in the Spirit, what are we, what are we walking in? The flesh. And when you've got somebody walking in the Spirit and someone walking in the flesh, you know what's going to happen? Well, according to the same passage in Galatians 5, the Spirit and the flesh are contrary the one to the other. They don't get along very well. The spirit and our own flesh don't get along very well. So when you got two people, we need the fruit of the spirit for God to bring us into unity. So the spirit plays a big role. There's so many different things there we could and may, but we may not. We'll see what the weeks ahead hold, but we'll see how the Lord leads this week. So my prayer my desire is that which I believe is God's desire, that Bible Baptist Church would have unity so that we can accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. We've got lumber sitting out there, building project. We've got door-to-door -door evangelism we're working at. We've got, uh, God has plans for us in the future to grow us spiritually, but also to add to this body. And we need unity if we are going to accomplish all that he wants to accomplish and to remain faithful at accomplishing those things. So, uh, unity, it's important. God, 
So one more thing on those seven ones. How many times does God say that we are to be in one accord? That we're to have one mind? It's interesting that number one, the number seven, completeness, perfectness, also peace. Remember the bond of peace over at the beginning, the end of verse three? Uh, it's just kind of interesting that we have that those correlations. But that would require me to study some more. And uh, I didn't, well, didn't want to keep you here until dinner time. So let's go ahead and pray. We'll have a moment of invitation, and then we'll dismiss for lunch. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. I know we ran down a lot of different verses, and it may be a lot for our minds to grasp it all, but there's two things that can take place. I can say a lot give my opinions and say all the things that I think and define all the words, or you can say them from your word. And I tried to not say a lot, but let your word speak for itself. And I pray, Lord, in doing that, you have accomplished your will and gotten the points across that you wanted to get across. I pray that Bible Baptist Church would have these seven things in place and in common, and that through them you would... You would help us to live, to exist in unity with one another, that we can accomplish all that you have planned and desire for us to accomplish as a church body, as the body of Christ. Father, I pray that you'll do it. I pray you'd help us to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. Father, I pray you'd help us to grow into spiritual maturity, and that you will accomplish all that you desire to do in us as individuals, in us as families, and in us as a church. Lord, we know you want to, and we pray you'd help us. We keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed. Is there anyone here this morning that would slip up their hand and just say, Pastor Nathan, I can't say that I have ever received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. The one faith that we talked about, the one hope of our calling, the one Lord. Maybe you're here and you'd say, those things, I understand what you're saying, but I can't say that I've ever claimed Jesus Christ. I can't say I've ever trusted Him as my own personal Savior. Maybe you go to church. Maybe you have some level of belief. Well, the Bible says in James that the devils believe and tremble but they're not saved. We have to place our faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've never made it personal for me. But you need to make it personal. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? about Christians. I won't ask you to raise hands, but maybe you'd say, I need to be thinking about this object of unity. Maybe there's something in our lives that's preventing us from having unity. And can I say this? If you're part of a family, you got to have unity with your family if you're going to have unity with your church family, with the body of Christ. You can't be at odds with one another. Just like you can't be at odds with
your brother and sister in Christ in the church either. It's going to cause hindrances to that unity. Um, well, your, your spouse, your wife or your husband, they are your brother or sister in Christ. Your children are your brothers and sisters in Christ if they've trusted Christ as their Savior. And we need to have unity with them too. And that can be a, a struggle sometimes, but we need to do it if we're going to have unity. Let's just, I'll just give folks a couple minutes to pray and I'll close us in a word of prayer before we go eat. Father, thank you for the church family that you've given us, for this body of Christ that you've assembled here together in the town of unity. And I pray, Lord, I know it's cliche and the joke is made by most guest pastors that come and preach here. Uh, whenever the topic of unity comes up, the fact that we're in the town of unity always becomes a kind of a joke. Uh, but Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be something funny and that we laugh at but that it would be something that is true. That this body of believers, Bible Baptist Church, would have unity with one another. And in unity, we can accomplish so much more for you. We know that it's true. Just It applies to every area of life. As a family, when we have unity, we can do more. We, can, we have more joy and, and happiness and peace and all the things that we desire in life Lord, they can be realized through unity with those that we have in our lives, especially in our homes and in the body of Christ. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to have unity with you. Uh, help us to love you more each day. Help us to love your word more each day and to desire to know you, as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to know you better. Lord, that can be accomplished through your word. I pray you'd help us to, to long to know you. Father, I just pray you bless the food to our bodies, bless the fellowship, bless the remainder of our day. Uh, bless Ethan and, the, and Chris and the folks that are, uh, Patty, the folks that are involved in the hymn sing over at the Common Ground Fair. I pray that you would use them today to minister to hearts. And I pray, Lord, that even if just one person, their heart is touched, their spirit is touched, and they're drawn to you, whether it be today or down the road through the seed that's planted, uh, I pray that someone would come to know you as their Savior, that you would Bless the endeavor, bless the effort, that you would use it uh, to accomplish your will in someone or someone's lives, Lord. And we'll praise you for it. We just thank you for all you do and for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.